Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, the co-host for this program. I'm joined by my oldest son, John Mark. Hello, John Mark. Hello, Dad, and hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. We're working our way through Cyprian's discussion of Thy Will Be Done from his treatise on the Lord's Prayer, a very famous treatise from uh, from the third century. And um, it the reason it was brought to our attention, it happened to be the second reading in the Office of Readings oh, about a month or so ago. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while yeah. since we started this. And, and let me, those of you that are joining us the first time, rather than my taking time to repeat the whole background of this, go to an one of the earlier Deep Inscription episodes when John Mark and I started this, and you'll find out more about why. We're working through a list of items, of virtues, or qualities that St. Cyprian lists as necessary aspects of our desire to know what God's will is for our life so that we can be in line with what he wants for us meaning that when we pray, thy will be done, it's really more about us being in line with his will. So how do we discern his will for our life and then by grace live it out? And Cyprian gives a long list, and we've been working our way through that. And today we've we've reached item, I'm not sure even the number of it, but the translation that was in the Office of Readings, readings says it addresses our need of preferring nothing to him who preferred nothing to us. And that's, that's really an awesome statement. We're talking about Jesus here. Preferring nothing to him who preferred nothing to us. That's... Dr. Kenneth Howell, when he did a translation of Cyprian, he translated this way, to put Christ above everything because he put us before anything. That almost sounds like one of those profound statements that G.K. Chesterton would say. Yeah. You know, putting Christ above everything because he put us before anything. Yeah. It's very profound. And that, that um, the contrast between those two words, and again, I, I didn't translate it. I'm just going off his translation. I, I assume the significance between the use of those two different words. And I was thinking about that a little bit. You know, a Christ, um, to put Christ above everything, because he put us before anything. Everything and anything. In our case, we're to turn bit by bit from every other thing that there is that he created, all the other created things, including ourselves, toward him, preferring him over any uh, everything. But he preferred us before anything. He put us before anything. It's at least a possible significance of that is that for God, the, the range of possibility is much wider than ours. You know, we, we refer to the things in the created universe, the things that are, we prefer, we have to put God first, but he could have made 
anything and anyone. You know, we'll, we'll get to the verse later on, but he didn't just know us before we were conceived, before we were born. He knew us before there was a reality, before there was a universe. He chose to create us. And so his preferring of us is such a profound and primordial thing um, that our preferring in response, you know, is merely our weak expression of gratitude for that great love. It really is a profound statement. It, it in some ways touches on that idea that from the beginning of eternity, he knew us. From the beginning of eternity, he knew he would die on a cross. From the beginning of eternity, he knew we would fail, leading to the cross. He did that because from the beginning of eternity, he put us before anything. I mean, right. that's, that's really beyond our human ability to understand. Certainly. It's a profound thing. So in that sense, it's like St. Cyprian, you put something before us here that is beyond our ability to truly appreciate. Because the really the hard part of it, the second part, that's what Jesus did. That's why we are to do this. And once we truly reflect on appreciating the why of it, if we appreciate the why of it, it leaves us no option but to do it, to put him first, Christ above everything, prefer nothing to him. So how do we do that? I mean, here we have our Lord Jesus, who's God. He's able to do anything. We're on the other hand, we've, we're so spoiled. Our lives are so full of stuff. And so letting go of things is difficult because everything fills our lives. I was just mentioning to John Mark before the show, I think I'm the first generation that I've lived my entire life with television. My parents, they only were introduced to television halfway through their life. So they knew a time without television. I have never known a time without television. So letting go of that is tough. In this, he's calling us on this journey of putting Christ above everything. And so it is a process. And the the as we do every week, we throw together a couple scriptures uh, to help kind of bring the topic into a manageable format for our short time here. And the first scripture that came to mind, uh, and on one hand doesn't seem to fit the topic, but I think it explains why Cyprian put this item right after the previous item, which we talked about last week, which is fearing him because he is God. Right. We talked about the fear of God and the importance of the fear of God, the necessity of the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of everything, the core of philosophy and life and priorities and conscience. So why did he follow it up with preferring nothing to him? And I think the scripture here from John chapter 14, 
explains it. Because, <clears throat> and this was the, the portion of John where it's on the night in which he's betrayed. And so he's in the upper room with his apostles the last time they're together before our Lord is betrayed and then the, the cross and Jesus giving the final instructions. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And a little later, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we shall be satisfied. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And of course, before he had said that, that really startling statement to them, if you will, believe in God, believe also in me. So there's that, uh, that unity, that mysterious unity between the Father and the Son. And the reason I think Cyprian put this after the last one is, on the one hand, it is so absolutely important to fear God as the core of our Christian being, but it's an elusive task, fearing God, because he can seem so elusive. Well, what's God like? To fear him, he's mysterious and invisible. And so it's as if Philip says, explain that to me. And Jesus says, look at me. Look at me. So what does it mean to fear God? The incarnation of that is to put Jesus first in everything. How do you fear God? Put Jesus first in everything. Right. Yeah, and we had I really enjoyed that conversation about the uh, fear of God. I felt like I I uh got a lot out of that conversation that processing that chewing through that with you. But that was I think one of my the things that came out of it for me was recognizing that this this holy fear of God it really it really is bound up with a pure love of God, you know, that it this holy fear of God um really makes way for putting him first. You know, because the holy fear of God is connecting with recognizing God for who he is. And then, of, of course, in this passage, again, we have Christ uh, giving greater definition to our, our understanding of who God is. Because he, he came to specify that for us, to show us in himself who the Father is. And so, in the person of Christ, we have this opportunity for a holy fear, the encounter with the lion. You know, the, the person of God, his love and his goodness and his sacrifice. But also we have this, this, um, this God who condescends to draw near to us so that we can, we can love. We can uh, yeah, love him first. We, we hear lots of scriptures about fear of God. I don't recall very many about fear of Jesus. But Jesus is God. So why not fear of Jesus? Because the, the face of God that has been presented to us through Jesus is the compassionate, loving, self-sacrifice, servant, humble, come to me all year, weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you. Right. You know, so that 
is that mysterious image of of God, the triune God that we have. Right. And it doesn't, it's kind of neat. We, we aren't to negate the, the importance of that servile fear. In other words, you know, if, I, right. if I'm not living a holy life, I could spend eternity in hell. Every one of us has to face that reality because we're called right. to be holy. But the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ is that he, he says in this, this partnership that we have, this unique partnership that our faith presents as our relationship to God through Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember which verse it was from uh, last week's discussion, but the, but it was the one about friendship with God is for the man who fears God or something like that. It connects friendship with God and the fear of God. You know, and, and in this passage, once again, we have an example of even the disciples, even the disciples who were so close to him and walked with him, they too still had this blind spot of really seeing Christ for who he was. And of course we see that throughout the gospels. We see people, you know, we, ha- we see the childlike who are able to recognize, uh, you know, the father reveals to them, to, to the little ones who Christ is. But to those who still, um, that many mysteriously can't see Christ for who he is. And perhaps the fear of God and the humility that goes along with that is one of these barriers. It's the people who really, f- that, who were God-fearing, the God-fearing among the people, really in their hearts, not just externally but the God fearing in their hearts, those were the people around him who were able to see who he was. And it's to the God fearing that God is able to reveal his heart, which is a heart of love. That part of that journey then of preferring nothing to him who preferred nothing to us. It's the reality of the fact that he preferred nothing to us that draws us in his direction. But it's a journey of preferring nothing to him a journey to put Christ above everything. Part of that journey is recognizing that we come to this with baggage. And sometimes that's an inaccurate image of God that we may have picked up along the way. And so an important part of that is coming to a, a more accurate understanding of who God is. And our Lord says, the way you do that is you look at me. You look at me. So how do I fear God? Jesus says, you put me first. And we're going to look at scriptures. And again, we could talk on on many scriptures from this. The next one I'd like to draw our attention to is is the Beatitudes. Um, And we're all familiar with the Beatitudes. And some of you may have heard me give my presentations on the Beatitudes because the early, some of the early church fathers, the doctors of the church, um, saw the Beatitudes not as eight or nine separate qualities or separate groups of people, the poor and the meek and the humble, and, but as a staircase of growing closer to Christ, a, you know, a journey. And um, actually, you can find uh, Leo the Great's discussion of this in the Liturgy of the Hours. If you look up when he talks about the Beatitudes, he, Leo the Great talks about this. But uh, to, in that sense, in a simple way, the, the Beatitudes are a staircase, a step-by-step process of putting Christ first. That's what they are. And the Beatitudes, just to condense them, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he says, And you, blessed are you, when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad in your journey. Your, your reward is great in heaven for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, first of all, of those, and I, I see them as nine Beatitudes. Traditionally, they're seen as eight, but there's nine. That last one is different than the others because of the, of the nine, that's the only one where Jesus says, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. As number nine, it's almost as if that's when we've gotten so close to Christ to put him first that we're, we're totally vulnerable to the world. Yeah, we really share with his cross. We share his cross. We're before... Blessed are the poor in spirit. Traditionally, that's detachment from the world. The first step of, of, of surrendering everything to putting Jesus as first is that he's got to be first before all the stuff. One of the verses later, we, we can refer to that now, John Mark, is when he talks about you cannot serve God and mammon. Well, that's what he's saying there. You can't, you can't put me first and put your stuff first. Right. Yeah, that language, even this this word of preferring, and it's a real loaded term, real significant term, because uh, maybe in a little bit con contrast to last week talking about fear of God, or even if we think about, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Still, when we when we imagine that, when we try to make that practical, we're kind of left with a chicken and the egg sort of a thing. Because I want I want to love God that much and I want to want to because I recognize that I don't want to and I want to want to want to but how do I I was I was just reading Augustine's confessions the other day and he was he was talking through that difficulty you know like my will wills but it doesn't fully will and it wills itself and how do we get there make me chaste well, but not yet <laughs> next Tuesday perhaps I don't know um, but this this you know the this language of preferring or putting you know, and especially in the context of the Beatitudes, really points us to the the reality that we're to engage with the process, the journey. That it's a it's a perhaps it's even a step by step. It's a turning away from this thing towards Christ, this person towards Christ, this attachment toward Christ, um, and and we're to accept that. That's that's the life God's given us. You know, and and so there's there's some providence in the fact that you know our life is busy. It's got a lot of things in it. But if we see it as these opportunities to make this preference, this choice, this turning, you know, then we can, that, that's how this process can, can go about. But we have to be, we have to see it that way. We have to see life as that opportunity. I don't know if the word preference is a virtue. Preference. Well, I think it would see, I mean, it could be connected to purity of heart, perhaps, but but, you know, we, yeah. we are faced with a decision. That's what preference yeah. is. 
You're uh, faced with right. a decision, this or this. Uh, what's your preference? And we have sometimes have natural inclinations. Right. You know, I prefer not to fall over a wall, you know. But the, you know <laughs> so we have natural inclinations. But in this case, we're given choices, A or B, and what's our preference? He's saying prefer nothing to him right. with all the choices we have in our life. And so the Beatitudes, you begin with the stuff of the world. Poverty of, of spirit means detachment from the stuff. Those who mourn, the fathers have said that's detachment from sin. Because they're mourning for, they recognize their sinfulness. So they, more, those who are mourned have recognized their sinfulness. And so they, it, it's, it's like, blessed are you when you decided, you realize fully you need to go to confession. You know, right. you're recognizing your need for that. Blessed are the meek, that's detachment from yourself. You're putting Jesus before yourself. And then hungering thirst for righteousness is you're preferring righteousness over everything. So you see this journey to where in the end you're willing to do whatever it is he calls you to do. Yeah. No, I, I think that now that I think about it more, yeah, the prep, this, this notion of preference, it's interesting because it does get into, it gets right into the state of our heart. When we when we examine ourselves at any particular time or season, we recognize that despite our despite our, what we will, what we want to be the case, my heart is attached to things. You know, my my in my in my feelings and my emotions in my attachments. You know, the, the my heart is attached to things, even if I wish it were differently. Well, it's in the act of preferring, making a choice. You know, encountering a situation where my desire is for this, this food, this drink, this relationship over and above what Christ calls me in, instead of putting him first. And whenever I m make that choice, that that preferring, I chip away a little bit at that, those attachments. And there's a mourning that comes with that. I mean, it's a painful thing. It's a small death, a small death we undergo. But then what resurrects in its place is a heart that's more attached to God. And... I know you, John Mark, have, have totally conquered all this. Uh, uh, I, I am very much still <laughs> you, on the journey. You know wrongly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this idea of detachment. And uh, I can almost guarantee that as soon as you, can, you decide you're going to work harder at it, well, then the flesh, the, the, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to do everything possible to undercut right. that desire because yeah. the world and the flesh and the devil do not want you to put the ruler of this universe first in your life. The right. world and the flesh and the devil want you to put the world, the flesh, and the devil first. Yeah. You know, and you can think at certain times in your life, Teresa and I muse about this all the time, because at certain times in your life, you can think that you're pretty pure of heart, that you're pretty disciplined, you're pretty ordered, that your heart, that you really do put Christ first. And then God says, okay, okay, I'm going to put you in a new situation here. You're going to get married or you're going to have kids, or you're going to have you know neighbors that you don't get along with. And suddenly you realize, oh, wow, I'm not a patient person. I'm not a, a meek person. I, like, I really love myself and my comfort and my autonomy. Um, and it's in, so God gives you those new moments where you say, oh, nope, I guess, I guess I'm still a work in progress in a big way. Yeah. So how do I know whether I'm doing okay? I mean, hey, I'm a, 
I've been a Christian for a long time. I made a lot of sacrifices. It's, I remember the the disciples, right, said, we gave up everything for you, Jesus. Uh, I mean, hey, so how do we measure that? Well, Jesus does throw a verse at us. Yeah. And it's in Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 39. And he throws this one at us to say, okay, you think you're pretty good at setting priorities. Well, let's see how well you do it this one. So let me read this one, John Mark. And, and that way, if I read it, then you're the one that's confronted. Right, John Mark? If I read <laughs> right, it. That's how that works. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so Jesus said, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a lot in there, John Mark. Yes. And they're not easy stuff. But the, the point is the only way to understand that paragraph is to understand it solely in the context of Jesus has got to be first. Because if you understand that, then everything he's saying when he says, he who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Right. If we love our father and mother or our wives or our daughters and sons more than we love Jesus, then we're not doing them any good. Exactly. Yeah, you know, something that comes to my mind here is, is precisely that while at first blush when we read this passage, it does seem very challenging and there's kind of a pinch there. Again, as we dig into, if we're really honest, as we dig into even our very good attachments, the attachments we have to things, I mean, if we have attachment to sin, okay, don't be attached to sin. But a lot of our attachments don't seem on the surface bad. Like I'm attached to my family. I'm attached to you know, the, the job I have, the work I get to do, the, you know, the, the, the good blessings God's given me in this life. But the thing is that there's a core, there's a root in all of those. There's a, a bad root in all of those. And that's that what I'm loving in all those things is not God, nor even the person that I might be loving. There's a part of me that's loving myself in them. I love you for what you do to me or what you mean to me, there's still an ego in that love. And so it's not love. And, it, and it's, it's funny, if we, re, if we think of all of this, this difficult words, the sword that, that Christ wants to bring between us and even those we love, well, we read it also in light of the, the last line that he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's true about those, even those good things that we have to detach from. We'll, we'll find true love for friends and family but only to the degree that we do put Christ first. Otherwise, we're just holding on, not really to them, but if we are honest with ourselves deep down, we're holding on to 
ourselves and our preferences. When I think about the men and women that we work with in the Coming Home Network, if you think about the history of Christianity, there have been hundreds of thousands, countless men and women who have had to suffer separation from family and friends because of their love for God, their love for Jesus Christ. Right. And so when put very simply, would you surrender your love for Christ to appease a family member? That's what he's saying. The, the right. early Christians were brought before I think of Polycarp, the martyr, brought before um, Caesar, you know, the representative, and said, will you worship Caesar? Will you, will you burn the incense? Just burn this little incense. That's all you got to do. And I remember Polycarp saying something like, well, for, for four score and 50 years, four, whatever he said, four score and five years, I've been faithful to Jesus. I'm not about it this time you know, to turn my my back on my Savior, you know. In other words, he's willing to die for Jesus. Yeah. And that's what makes it tough in families. But but the best way we can love our families is to put Jesus first. Yeah, you know, it also gets back to something we said last week in terms of the fear of God, that um, if we don't fear God, then we fear everything else. Because we don't really believe, we're not choosing to trust that God is who he says he is, who Christ says he is. Because if we did believe God who was who he says he is, not only would we fear him, but we would also trust him. When he says that he is in control, you know, whenever we have this temptation like, oh, I need to hold back from God because I got to take care of this and that and the other, these other good things or these people. What I'm also saying is I don't really trust God to take care of them. That, that, that the best thing I can do for them is for me to be faithful that God is in control. I, I'm saying, no, God, you step as I got to take care of this. I have to make it work. I have to make it right. And so even those small decisions face us with this question of, do, do you really fear God? Do you really believe he's in control? Do you really believe he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he'll say he'll do? Yeah. I mean, I, I know of a man right now that because of his convictions of his faith, it may actually lead to separation from his family. And he's really struggling with what to do there. And we're not about to tell him what he should do. I mean, that's, be, that's his conscience and between him and our Lord Jesus. Right. But his attitude is right because he knows that if if he grows closer to Christ, ultimately, he'll be growing closer to what is true. And that's what he wants. That's what he wants. And he knows then that what all things work together for good, that those that love God and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. He knows that's to be true. So that's what Jesus is saying here. With all the decisions, all the attachments in life, the one attachment that will make what is best for you? That he—it's not because God is—it's not just that idea of God is so jealous He wants all our attention. It, it's not so much. It, God knows what's best for His creation, for right. us. 
He knows what's best for us. He knows that if we put him first, then all these other things will be ours likewise. That's what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of this will come. I'm not getting the right translation. But the point is, seek first the kingdom. And that's really the same topic. And just that last verse, John Mark, just as we close. John John the Baptist. Sure. He must increase, but I must decrease. Yeah. And again, I think for me that 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 gets at that, that, difficult point that we just alluded to that uh, that if we're honest with ourselves in our attachments even to good things even to other people relationships uh, apparently of love and there is love there but there's still an element even of us of, of self-love of putting myself first and so in, in in all things in all my loves in all my choices in all of my life he must increase and i must decrease yeah, this was said by John the Baptist, who knew that he had a call from God to be the forerunner. And he had all these powerful people coming to you and say, hey, are you the are you the guy? Are you the guy? And someone who wasn't as committed in conscience could have said, uh, yeah, I'm the guy. And he said, no, it's him. It's Jesus. He, he preferred Jesus to the fame, preferred Jesus to the position, Jesus to the power. And and because it's about Christ. In fact, there's the danger of thinking, well, I know, I know things will work out best for me as I put Jesus first. So I'm going to put Jesus first so that things work out good for me. If we do it that way, we haven't put Jesus first. We're still putting right. ourselves first. Right. And same same thing as if we try to put ourselves. It's it's interesting because it's it's hard for us to maybe imagine John the Baptist, you know, saying yes, I'm I'm the guy. But again, isn't that kind of what we do when, for the sake of another person, we don't put Christ first? We 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 put ourselves out there as the Savior. They need me. They need my help. They need me. Not that they need need God more. We somehow think if we if we step back from God that we'll be able to save them. We can't. We can do no good apart from God. We we have to for, our, for all the people he lists their father and mother and son or daughter and wife. Um, we must take up our cross and follow him. That's what his 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 call is. And to a certain extent, anything short of that is is self-focus, and that's why John the Baptist says it's a journey. I mean, what does John John the Baptist said? He said, I haven't arrived yet. Paul said that in Philippians. I'm not perfect yet. I'm not perfect yet. But forgetting what lies behind, I press onward to the upward call of Christ Jesus. Right. That's, that's the direction. That's the trajectory. And for, for many of us, including me, I've still got to turn I'm still drawn back to this stuff. And sometimes the reason I'm going this direction is I think it's best for me. <laughs> it's what it's got to be let go and, and let him. That's the incarnational face of the fear of God. Is our 
is, is uh, Thomas Akempis would say, it's imitating Jesus. That's what he, Thomas Akempis' book on the imitation Christ is all about, is following him completely. All right, John Mark, that was fun. I hope it's been helpful to all listen. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. And please join us next week as John Mark and I pick up on the next item in Cyprian's list. <laughs> All right. A couple left, a few left. We got a few more left, three or four more left. Get, getting there. Getting there. All right, everybody. God bless you. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.